All right, so A.W. Tozer, he's a Christian author, he wrote this. He says, Let no one apologize for the powerful emphasis Christianity lays upon the doctrine of the world to come. Right there lies its immense superiority to everything else within the whole sphere of human thought or experience. When Christ arose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he established forever three important facts, namely, that this world has been condemned to ultimate dissolution, that the human spirit persists beyond the grave, and that there is indeed a world to come. The church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as her home, and sometimes she has listened to those who would woo her away and use her for her own ends. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountain peaks of eternity past and eternity to come. The past is gone forever and the present is passing as swiftly as the shadow of the sundial of Ahaz. Even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay and enjoy it. So we do well to think of the long tomorrow. That's what tonight is for, to, to sit and to think about the long tomorrow, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So let's get pizza first, then we'll come back, we'll read the creed, and we'll put this kind of in the context of the creed and then start digging into what it actually means. So go ahead and grab some pizza if you want it. All right, let's read the creed together and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into these last three lines here, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So go ahead and read it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and died, and was buried. He descended to hell third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So this is probably one of the most, what, speculated on, meaning people are just throwing out ideas whether or not there's any basis of truth to them, and maybe misunderstood parts of the entire creed. Um, just we have lots of ideas and thoughts about death and resurrection and life everlasting that aren't from the Bible. And so we think, okay, yeah, somebody dies, they become an angel. Or, yeah, once I get to heaven, I'll know absolutely everything. Or maybe you're like, heaven, isn't that where we like sit on clouds and play harps all day? Or we think, um, yeah, people in heaven are looking down on us, you know, um, things like that. None of that is anywhere in the Bible. So this week in particular, we just need to define some things that scripture teaches about death and the resurrection and life everlasting. And kind of, you ever go to like, I can only think of Sault Ste. Marie. Anybody ever been to like a big harbor where there's like massive ships all docked up? Or the Sioux Locks, if you're, you know, that kind of person. 
Anybody ever been to, seen a boat before? Okay. There we go. <laughs> We're like, Sault Ste. Marie, any harbor, we've been, a ship, a boat, we've, we've been on a jet ski. Great. So, uh, so most time when ships come in off the ocean, you have the ship itself and then attached to the ship, you have a bunch of barnacles, right? Or um, zebra mussels if you're in the Great Lakes. Um, there are these little creatures that are sharp and hard-shelled things. They're like ocean slugs almost. Um, that Sorry. You don't want ocean slugs while you're eating pizza? Um, and and uh, they attach to ships and you basically have to power wash or scrape or sometimes even burn them off the bottom of your boat. Otherwise, it can't cut through the water. It can't, you know, do what ships are supposed to do. And so these barnacles attach to the boat and they just kind of ruin what the boat's supposed to be doing. So you take, you know, all of your interns out there and you have them start scraping and cleaning barnacles. Yeah? How do you burn off barnacles when they're in the water? You lift the ship out. Um, yeah. Okay. Upon a lift. So, so what, what we're kind of doing a little bit tonight is we're taking the boat of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and we're starting to scrape some of the barnacles off and just be like, here's what the Bible actually teaches about this. Um, so before we leave here, let's just look where this is in the, uh, the Apostles' Creed. So we end the creed really with the goodness and hope of the resurrection. And we can only get there because of where we've been before. Last time we talked about the forgiveness of sins. Without the forgiveness of sins, there is no life everlasting. There's only um, judgment from God. So we want to connect this to the forgiveness of sins. We want to connect it to God and what Christ and the Holy Spirit have all done. And um, so tonight we're really just focusing on what happens to believers after they die. Uh, we talked about what happens to unbelievers a couple months ago now. So, so let's start basic, right? I'll switch this. What is death? If we're going to talk about resurrection and life, we need to talk about death first. And like, I think we tend to... We know death is bad, right? Everybody knows death is bad. But to try and make it a little bit more friendly, palatable, acceptable... We try and romanticize it, right? So, like, anybody watch Harry Potter? Are we allowed to in church? Like, okay, just making sure you don't think I'm, you know, crazy witch or something. You know, Dumbledore says, you know, for the well-trained mind, death is but the next great adventure. It's not something to worry about. It's not something bad. It's just another adventure. Or, um, you know, I, I heard this on a TV show. There, the people are about to die. And one guy says, picture a wave in the ocean. You can see it. You can measure it. It's height, the way the sun refracts. And then it comes and it crashes on the, on, the, on the shore. And then it's gone. But the water is still there. It's just different. The wave was just different way for the water to be for a little while. That's one conception of death for a Buddhist. The wave returns to the ocean where it came from and where it's supposed to be. That's beautiful. And you would think, okay, if a Christian is all about, you know, not just this life, but the life to come, we probably have a really optimistic, you know, 
beautiful way of thinking about death. But that's not the way that the Bible talks. That's not how we talk about the long tomorrow, right? Uh, let me give you two, two points on here of what is death. First, we need to remember death is an enemy, even for Christians. So like death, First uh, Corinthians 15, 26 says, is the last enemy to be destroyed. So if God says death is an enemy, we never want to be like, death is a friend. General rule of thumb, never call a friend what God calls an enemy. Never call an enemy what God calls a friend. That's, that's a pretty good way to get things right. Of course, there, there's comfort in the evil, right? 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Revelation 14.13, blessed are those from now on who die in the Lord. Where, yeah, there's blessedness in the midst of evil. Isn't that how God always works? In the midst of evil things happening, he also blesses his people. That's what we've been talking about from Nahum for the last few weeks. Um, but we're never called to put our hope in death. Man, I can't wait to die so that I can be with Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. But death is an enemy, one that Jesus defeated and he overcame. So first thing to think of, death is an enemy, even for Christians. The second thing we want to note is that death is a disintegration of life, right? It's undoing what life does. It separates the soul from the body. So we need to, to get this from the outset, right? God didn't create us as souls, and then we just happen to have physical bodies that we walk around in, right? God made us as embodied spirits, spirits with bodies. The body is good. God created the bodies, the physical parts, the lungs, the heart, the blood, the nerves, the whatever of Adam and Eve and called it good. And what death does is it separates our parts. It puts our bodies in the ground, our spirits somewhere else. Um, and so it doesn't end our existence, but it really does destroy it. You're not you unless you have both, you know, the non-material, the spiritual, the, the psychological, whatever you want to call that, and the body. And so while, you know, the dead Christian is in the perfect presence of God, we're incomplete still because it's just spirit. We're in some senses less than human, less than what God designed us for, because God designed us to be both body and spirit interconnected forever. So death is an enemy, and death, part of its destruction is it separates what it means to be human, to separate the body from the spirit. Um, make sense so far? Okay. So another question, just defining terms, what's resurrection? Well, it's up there, but how would you define resurrection? Yeah. Yeah, coming back from the dead. You have about 10 resurrections in the Bible. Um, so you have Elijah, Elisha, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and Jesus, all raised widows' sons from the dead. Um, you have Jesus raising a couple daughters from the dead as well. Uh, Lazarus raises up. Nope, Jesus actually raises up Lazarus. Lazarus can't raise Jesus because he's not God and Lazarus was dead. Um, Paul is preaching one night and he preaches a long time. A kid named Eutychus is sitting in the window on the second story. He falls asleep and he falls out and dies. Um, so 
don't fall asleep when somebody's preaching as I think what that story is about. So Paul's like, well, hang on. I'm only in point two of my four-point sermon. Let me go bring this guy back from the dead so I can finish my sermon. Uh, so Paul raises up Eutychus. I added a little bit to that story. Um, but yeah, he preaches well into the night. Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. Paul brings him back from the dead. And then Peter raises up Tabitha. Um, probably the biggest example of a resurrection in Scripture is Jesus himself, right? Um, so what's the difference in these two lines? If you have group A... In group B, what's the difference? Group A can't raise themselves from the dead. Okay. Jesus can is like low hunt who raise most people. Okay. So these are raised by others. Raised by God directly. Or so. I mean, depending on which scripture you want to go, the Father raised him from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead, Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, it's God at work in Christ. What else is the difference between these? Who's still alive in those lists? Say that a little bit louder. Who's still alive in those lists? Okay. So this guy's still alive, right? A lot, or the widow's sons, Lazarus, Eutychus, Tabitha, you know, there's a point where they're, you know, hey, I've been here before. I remember what it's like to die, and I'm dying. Um, they, these guys are all dead. Jesus is alive. For the widow's sons, it's, you know, they died, and then they came back, and they just picked up their life, and they kept on going. I mean, it's probably a little bit more dramatic than that. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was completely different. He was transformed. He was glorified. The widow's sons, they're like, you know, we got sick and died and then we got better. Jesus defeated death and has something completely new. So when we're talking about the resurrection, what category are we looking forward to? Do we want something like A or do we want something like B? B. B, yeah. Our resurrection isn't like Lazarus's, who dies for four days, you know, and then comes out of the grave and, you know, just keeps on, he goes back to work on Monday. We're, we're, how do you even call in? Like, hey, I'm sorry I missed work Friday. I was dead, but Jesus came. Like, I feel like most bosses wouldn't take that, but whatever. We're looking for something like Jesus, right? Being raised from the dead in a new, different kind of body. So, so go over to 1 Corinthians 15.35. 1 Corinthians 15.35. I want to I show you this in Scripture. Um, there's a bunch of places we could go. But this is kind of the biggest, longest, fullest passage where we can get the most bang for our buck. 15.35? Yep. Yeah, I'll put that Well, yeah. What's that? It's on you got it? Too bad it's not 1535, but you know, it's 1035 in your Bible. Nothing. You said it was on page 1035. Is it really? 1535 is on 1535. Way to go. Way to go, Crossway or whoever did that. Like, okay. 
Nice. Right All right. So let me read it. You guys can follow along because I'm going to keep stop. I'm going to keep stopping and talking through this whole passage. So here, here's what we're talking about with the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, maybe you remember, gosh, it was back when we were talking about, hmm, <laughs> I think on the third day he rose again from the dead. When we were way back here, we spent our entire time talking about nine reasons or nine consequences of Jesus' resurrection. And we spent time in the first part of the 1 Corinthians 15. Nobody remembers that. We're in the same conversation. Now, there's some people who deny that resurrection exists. So Paul's arguing, no, here's what we know about the resurrection. He says, some of you will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. All right, so we're stopping at 38 here. So you're saying, okay, if you put a dead person in the ground, you bury them, and then they decompose, then what kind of body are they going to have? Like, we don't want zombie bodies. That's going to be weird and ugly and, like... If a worm ate my arm, like, is that what we're looking forward to? And he says, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. I mean, you plant plants. You know how this works. You, anybody plant a garden this year? Yeah, we have a garden here. What's in your garden? Oh, I, Tomatoes? Yeah. All right, so you take a tomato seed, right? And you put it in the ground, and you cover it, and you water it, and you shoot the rabbits as they try and eat it. Enough sun, <laughs> enough water, enough time. What comes up? A tomato seed or something that looks completely different than the seed? Different. Completely different. He's saying, same thing. You, what you sow is not the body that's to be. You don't plant a tomato plant in the ground. You plant a seed and something else comes up. So look at 38. But God gives it as a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish, right? So there's different kind of bodies. We know this. Have you ever eaten beef and chicken and salmon, right? They don't taste the same. We're just going to skip over human for this example. Like, we know, that, we know that there's different kinds of flesh just by, you know, eating them. Pork does not, or pork's not on there. Salmon does not taste like a steak. There's, there's different kinds of bodies. Nobody's surprised that there's different kinds of flesh. Um, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun. The sun's beautiful. It's glorious. And there's another glory of the moon. The moon's great too. And there's another glory of the stars. For the stars different from star and glory, right? You look at the sun. Wow, that's cool. You look at the moon. That's great. You look at the stars. Wonderful. Are they all the exact same kind of wonderful? No. Sun and stars. I mean, the sun and the stars technically are, but like for our purposes, they're not. And so there's different kinds of glory that exist. And so he continues on in 41, 42, I'm sorry. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. So what dies is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It won't decay. It won't perish. It's sown in dishonor, right? There's no honor in being defeated by death. 
It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. We understand weakness. As you get older and closer to death, you understand it more. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, flesh and blood. It's raised a spiritual body, one that's capable of holding the spirit and experiencing him in full. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, the first man Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not a spiritual that is first, but a natural, and then spiritual. So what he's saying is, yeah, first Adam's made of dust, made of dirt. God breathes the spirit into him, and he lives. The second Adam, Jesus, comes from heaven. He's a heavenly body, and he breathes out the spirit and gives life. Um, Adam came first, then Jesus. 47, the first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, us. And as the man of heaven, so those who are of heaven, those who are resurrected, resurrected those that we will be. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All right, so right here it says, right now, we're a lot like Adam, created from dust, going to die. Um, but after the resurrection, we're going to be like Jesus, the man of heaven, in his glorified body. Yeah? Doesn't Revelation kind of tell us about heaven? It does. We're not going there at all tonight, but if you want to read Revelation 21 and 22, it will help you out. Um, and then, last slide on, on 1 Corinthians here. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Which is simply saying, as we are, we can't gain heaven. We can't experience immortality in mortal bodies. 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall, the, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So all of this is to say, right now our bodies are great, but they're not fit for heaven. They're not fit to experience the kingdom of God. So when we think resurrection, don't think, okay, you know, I'm going to die one day and I'm going to come back and I'm going to be, you know, in my 15-year-old body that's, you know, full of energy and vigor. No, we're going to have something completely different. We're going to not be mortal, but immortal. We're not going to be perishable, but imperishable. And with that, death no longer has any sort of victory. Death doesn't have sting. Everything is going to be made right. In the final resurrection, death is defeated because the human person, our body and our spirit, are put back together, the thing that death tore apart. So why the resurrection of the body, right? Our phrase tonight is, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Not just a general resurrection, but the resurrection of the body. Why do we need to say that? Um, well, we've already talked about this, right? 
God created us as more than spirit and affirms the goodness of the body by saying it is good in creation when God created the body. Uh, Jesus took on a body. Having a body is a good thing. Um, I mean, our culture doesn't really accept this truth that bodies are a good thing. We think, you know, who I am in my mind, in my heart is the true me. Anything that's not the psychological, the personal, is somehow less than me. I, I think like a lot of problems in society stem from that we really just don't value the body as a culture like the Bible does, right? Um, I think, I'm just thinking it's a great, another great example of the disintegration that has happened. Oh yeah, right now. absolutely, is yeah. It? Death is creeping in, death tries to separate, it's doing it even before we die. I mean. It, we're not going to talk about all of these, but suicide doesn't value the body, only what my psychological desires want. Um, same with abortion. The question's not, is he alive, but does his body actually matter? Um, the whole LGBTQ movement doesn't take authority from the body, only what the inward desires are. Uh, the quick desire to rush into physical relationships and romantic relationships is because we don't value the body. Or even things like you know, not major issues out there, but the way that we eat, whether we eat a ton and you look like me, you're like, you know what? My appetites matter. If I want general so chicken, like I'm going to eat it because I don't care if my body is healthy or not. I just care about what I want. Or if you don't eat well um, and, you know, have an eating disorder or something, um, I'm going to make my body unhealthy so that it serves my psychological needs to be thought of as thin and good looking. Um, you know, just not taking care of the body is a major thing in our culture. And that's not what Christians believe. We believe that the body is good. We're going to be in a body forever, a different one, a resurrected one, a glorious one. But we want to affirm the goodness of creation. I think the way to think about the body is about the way I think of my Corolla. Who? Gavin, you're the oldest. What year were you born? I have no idea. 14. 2007? No. No. Jeremy, when were you born? That's 2006. 2006, 2007. OK. So, so. Gavin may or may not be older than my car. Nobody else is. Like, my, my car is older than this entire front row um, combined. And so, <laughs> not combined. Um, you know, my car is old. It's ugly. It's got a few scratches on it. It has one original hubcap left. Um, all right. How old is it? It's a 2006. Right? It doesn't completely work. I turn on the AC and I can barely hear the radio because something's buzzing in it that I should probably get fixed. It's like every time I get my oil changed, they're like, you need these 18 maintenance things done. Um, I'm like, yeah, how about you pay for it and give them to me for free? But like, at the end of the day, I, I need my car, right? I need to get from place to place. It's a good thing to have a car. I'm not like, man, my Corolla's old. I just want no car at all. It's like, It'd be nice to have a Rolls Royce or, you know, even a 2015 <laughs> Corolla. Um, but the hope isn't in getting rid of it. 
it's I'm going to take the best care of it that I can so it can still be used and conserve. Um, but like I'm looking forward to one day when I can get something nicer. Our hope for our body isn't getting rid of it. It's getting something better. Um, what am I even talking about? God created us as more than a spirit and a firm. We talked about that. The raising of the body means the restoration of the person. That means God's not just restoring my soul. He's restoring all of me. We get a heavenly body. Um, one way to think of a body, it's a set of limits, right? We're forever limited as humans. The fact that I have a body means I can't be here and with Ella in that other room because I, I have to be in one place. Um, so like our existence is never gonna be static. It's never gonna be just boring. Where there's always growth, there's always transformation, there's stuff to do, there's things to learn, there's things to see. Like, the best I can surmise, there's gonna be food and rest in heaven. There was in Eden. Um, you know, Philippians 3 1 says, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And we know that after Jesus was resurrected, he went to the disciples. This is Luke 24. And said, Have you ever anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of Boiled fish, broiled fish, even better. And he ate it before them. So Jesus ate in his resurrected body. I assume we're going to eat too then if we're going to be like him. We want to have this hope of life coming back together, soul and body back together for eternity with Jesus. So that's why we want the resurrection of the body. It undoes what death ruins. So what, you got questions so far? Yeah. I might have a question. Yeah. So I don't remember, but like, like it says up there that we might need food and rest. Yeah. Well, I don't remember this. I don't know if I don't if I remember this wrong. Yeah. Like, is there a passage that says that we won't need to sleep? Not that I recall, but if there is, trust that passage if you find it and ignore what I just said. Yeah. So before, did you say that um, death is our enemy? Mm-hmm. Could you like say that for you? Yeah, so death is an enemy. God calls death the last enemy. That's, if you're still in 1 Corinthians, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 26, I believe. Um, let me double check that. Yeah, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so we don't want to look forward to death. We don't want to put hope in death. Never call a friend what God calls his enemy. But at the same time, God uses evil, wicked enemies to do good things for his people. Right? So we don't look forward to death. But at the same time, death is not the ultimate enemy that just defeats us. It does win the battle. Like everyone dies. But God then jumps in and he, you know, gives us this glorified body after what death has done. Um, so we don't want to, you know, think of death as a good thing. Death is an evil thing. It's the result of sin. God says it's the last enemy and he's going to destroy it. We should look forward to death being destroyed. But at the same time, we have hope in death because we know that God doesn't let enemies win. God always wins. Um, all right. So that's the resurrection of the body. What about the life everlasting? So life everlasting isn't just ongoing existence, right? I wake up, 
tomorrow like I did today. Because everybody has that. Whether you're in heaven or in hell, you're gonna last forever. But when we're talking about life everlasting, uh, we're talking about life in Christ and the joy and the glory that he has, right? Um, it's a quality of life. So in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I will give you life abundant or a joy that never ends because we're with Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. So don't just think of, you know, days that never end, which kind of seems like the last year. Um, but we want to talk about a life where we have the fullness of joy and every longing that we have gets fulfilled. No longings go unsatisfied. Um, I think one of the problems of thinking of life everlasting just as my normal life, but longer, is we're like, isn't that going to get boring? Anybody ever think that? Like, I've been in church before, and it's gone a little bit long, and like, I got bored. Dan keeps talking about I have no idea what on Sunday night, and I'm a little bit bored right now. Like, is this what heaven's going to be like? We're, we're actually honest at this table. You guys are all liars over here. Um, you can put your hands down. Oh, do you have a question? Okay, I thought you were just like, no, I completely, what are you saying? Maybe God provides like endless toys or stuff for you. Um, Something even better, right? Yeah. So, so look at look at Ephesians two four. I'm not saying that He won't do that, but that's not what the Bible holds up. It holds something better. He says, "But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, so why are we with Jesus, right? Why did God save us and then raise us up to heaven with Jesus? The Bible says, so that in the coming ages, eternity, everlasting life, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what this is saying, right, is um, so let's say you had to you work at McDonald's. Disney World you work at McDonald's <laughs> we're going to McDonald's instead and you know somebody walks in and you're like buddy you just won the Willy Wonka tour like you now live own get to experience all the glory of this McDonald's um, <laughs> So it's like, first day you're like, guys, this is the fryer. We make fries here. And you're like, oh, that's so great. And then next day you're like, these are the hot apple pies. And you're like, oh man, I get fries and I get hot apple pies. And then you're like, McDouble station right here. We have like caught guns filled with like mayonnaise and mustard. It's kind of disgusting. I don't know what the meat is, but like, isn't this great? I'm like, yeah, this is great. And they're like, chicken Mc. No. Um, <laughs> like, this is the ice cream machine. One day it will get fixed. It's broken now. But, like, check out this McChicken over here. And you're like, you're taking him on a tour of all the glories of this new McDonald's. This is going to take two days, maybe three. And you're like, and that's basically McDonald's. Like, the play area will be 
open after the pandemic, but right now we can't even go in the ball pit. Not that you want to, you'll get a disease and die. Um, oh my. So, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> that's a million dollars back. So, that's going to take you like three days to show off all the glories of McDonald's. How many days is it going to take Jesus to show off the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus? Endless days because there is endless riches of grace and kindness. Now this is like, this should get you excited, right? Every day, God himself is going to reveal to you something new about how kind he is to you, how much he has given to you, and how glorious Jesus Christ is. There will never be a day where we're like, I think I get how much God loves me. Every day it will be a new thing that we see about how much God is kind and gracious to us. One of the very reasons we're saved, what's that? I was just going to say, it reminds me on the slide before you talked about the limits of being in the body. Mm -hmm. And that means that it's not like when you die and you come before, and sorry, not in our resurrected body, we're not just going to automatically have all of this knowledge, right? We're not going to have all of our questions answered like that. So what Dan's talking about is every day we get to learn more and more and more and more. Because we have that limit of a body. Right. It's just every day discover something new. So it's never you get bored. It's never like, man, today's the exact same as yesterday. It's always something new and exciting to see the glories of Christ. All right. So we talked about resurrection of the body, life everlasting. So in the last five to ten minutes before we do small groups. Let me give you five things the Bible says about why this should matter to us, right? Um, so there's definitely more than five, and there's reasons that aren't written in the Bible of why this should matter. Um, these are pretty broad, pretty generic. Maybe we'll get, you know, personal and specific in small groups. But how does this fact that we're promised the resurrection and the body, how should that affect the way, the way we live right now? Um, five things. Number one, the reality should be a motivation for keeping the faith, for not giving up on Christ and on the gospel, but for continuing on. So in Philippians 3.21 and then in 4.1, Paul writes, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Right? He's saying, stand firm in the Lord. Keep the faith. Every sacrifice you make, it will be rewarded. Everything that you give up will be made up for because God's going to show off his glory and his grace and his kindness to you for eternity. Anything hard you experience now because you're a Christian is going to be outshined in the glory of eternity, right? Difficulties are like when you light a candle in the dark. It seems pretty bright because it lights up the entire room until you open all the curtains and the sun shines in and you can barely see the candle anymore. That's the difficulties of life. They seem difficult now, they are difficult now. But keep holding on to Christ because there's something better coming. 
Secondly, we should eagerly wait and long to see Christ's glory fully and clearly, right? Um, so we were supposed to have this lesson, like I said, April 24th, 25th, something like that, but like I got COVID and most of your families got COVID and we were all sick and we realized, yeah, bodies fail. Like this body is not immortal. Um, death comes, but we have a greater hope, right? We don't just care about this life. We care for the life to come. I think you'll understand this more as you get older. I know I have, like, I'm young and I don't hurt all the time. I'm like, yeah, this body's not bad. You get old, you sneeze, and your back hurts for a week. Like, you're like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Tim, right? Am I alone here? Um, you know, it's like, I'm a kid, I fall off the monkey bars and I hurt myself. Now I'm like scooping ice cream that's a little too hard and, oh man. Um, what are we talking about? But we should also not just long for the benefits of heaven, but the essence, which is Christ himself. Um, we should long for eternal life more and more. Um, what time is it? I have a long quote here. We're not going to do that. Number three. We should know that our good works are not in vain, right? Um, so 1 Corinthians 15.58, I think we left off in 15.56 when we read the big chunk of text. Right after he says, because of this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? So that means everything that you do, all the good works, you know, the coming to youth group, the going to church, the reading your Bible, the praying, the giving the last piece of pizza or crazy bread, depending on how you live your life, to your brother instead of keeping it for yourself, the giving up of your free time, the not watching the same things that all your friends are and kind of feeling left out like the loser who is, you know, goody two-shoes at school. All of these good works, they're not just for nothing. There's something better. Because we have the resurrection coming, don't give up on doing the good things. Rather, trust that there's a reason for it and there's a reward coming for it. Um, so even as we're discouraged in doing what's right and what's good, we remember everlasting life and we become steadfast and movable, always abounding and doing what is good. Uh, number four, our hope should be evident, right? So what's hope? Anybody give me a definition there? That's a churchy word. Yeah? I don't have like a definition, but I have like an example. Okay, great. Like if in Pilgrim's Progress, like... I already love it. The um, giant guy. Yep, giant despair. Yeah. Like when Doubting Castle. Like, yep. Like when he was like running after them, like they just kept on going. Like, they didn't like, really look back. Okay. So it's the, the secure trust that something better is coming, right? I'm not looking back. I am just running knowing. Even though I haven't seen it, I know something better is out there. Yeah, that, that trait should be evident in Christians, right? 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ as lo the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, and do it with gentleness and respect. There should be a 
thing, something about Christians where people can be like, they have more hope than me. I don't understand what that is, but like they're willing to suffer and experience evil and not give up doing what's right, you know, number three. I wonder what's going on with that guy. Our hope should be evident. And then number five, we should have comfort in the face of death. Death is an enemy. We, I mean, we've probably all been to funerals and we just see the sadness, the victory of death when somebody's body is laying there apart from their spirit and they're gone. Like, it's a sad thing when the enemy makes, makes a victory, wins a battle, when he takes someone. But um, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep or dead, so that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So this section is, you know, there's a lot going on here. And if you want to talk about that later, we can. But he says, all of this stuff about the resurrection of the body, it's difficult, it's hard, maybe it's hard to understand, we can't quite imagine. But then he says, therefore, because we know this, encourage one another with these words. You know, talking about the resurrection, life everlasting, isn't something to be like, I wonder if there will be Cheetos in heaven. Um, or, you know, all of these questions that we tend to have. What, what the Bible wants us to do, what God wants to do, is to take the truth that he has revealed to us and use it to encourage one another with the truth that we have. Um, and so we end the Apostles' Creed on a note of encouragement, right? That we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Do you guys have any questions before we go to small groups?